Welcome to AEC Marketing for Principals, brought to you by Smartages, where we help design and construction firms navigate sales and leverage marketing to win more projects. Here are your hosts, Katie Cash and Judy Sparks. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the AEC Marketing for Principals podcast. I'm your host, Katie Cash, and today I'm excited to bring back by popular demand, Director of Capital Improvements for Atlanta Public Schools, Mr. Jerry Smith, and also my partner in strategy, Judy Sparks, head of Smartages. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Jerry, I think it's um, so exciting to have you as our wrap-up for our season two of the podcast because you were one of our first guest episodes um, last season when we first launched, and you are still one of the fan favorites. We are thoroughly excited about having you today and just want to pick your brain on what has changed because this has been that year of of pivoting, right? It's, it's that year of liminal space, as, as Judy's talked about on the podcast all season long, where we're kind of in the season of transition and trying to adapt to new normals and would love to just kind of get a quick update on on what's going on in the world of Atlanta Public Schools. Well, despite all that went on through, you know, the early spring, summer, and now into the fall and winter, um, we have kept going as far as from the capital improvement standpoint. There have been a few scares on projects, a few, you know, positive tests, a few shutdowns for a day or two here or there. Um, but for the most part, projects continued on. Um, we obviously kind of changed our format and how we meet and how much we meet and how many we get together in the trailer. But uh, for the most part, I'd have to say things really continued on. I, we really didn't miss any dates. Um, you know, had a couple of pushbacks on deliveries of certain commodities, um, but those came through. Um, and with no students walking back into the buildings in August, you know, some of the pressures were were off a bit. So I was going to say, Jerry, I, I think that one of the silver linings of all of this is one of the biggest challenges with K-12 construction is often working in occupied spaces, especially where there's, you know, students involved and faculty. And and um, I guess one of the silver linings might be that you've you've been able to work uh, free of those occupied spaces, and how has that um, affected you know your construction progress? Or have you been able to do things logistically a little bit easier than you had before? Um, it has. I mean, we have a fairly complex uh, addition renovation project going on at Grady High School in Midtown Atlanta, and one of our phases was going to be done over this summer. Well with the school being empty, we've been able to kind of advance that process and go ahead and do the work. So we, instead of finishing at the end of the summer, we will likely finish, uh, you know, prior to summer this year. I bet your, um, your students and faculty are really excited about getting into these new spaces um, with certainty and um, on time or even early. Do they have any concerns about, you know, what the world looks like in education now that we're living through a pandemic? Has it changed any of the way that you're approaching your programs and the physical footprint of your um, schools? Well, it hasn't yet. We've talked about a lot of things. Um, We've talked about a lot with other metro districts, state districts, and even nationally. Um, A lot of people have some different ideas. We're certainly stepping up our efforts in maintaining uh, HVAC systems and their performance. We've upgraded some of our filters you know, again, making sure the buildings are cleaned and cleaned again. Uh, but as far as changing the buildings, changing how they're designed, 
we haven't really made any calls like that or even installing certain components in classrooms. I mean, like APS has about 4,500 classrooms. Um, so if we made, you know, a $10,000 decision per classroom, you know, it has some pretty substantial impacts and, you know, you've got to make a kind of an educated decision on is that expended, do you have the, the money to spend and is that really going to make a difference? Um, so we haven't made any major calls like that to make any changes. Well, I noticed that procurement has been an interesting um, thing um, with all public clients uh, since COVID. Um, and, you know, we're seeing a lot more in terms of um, electronic submissions and uh, virtual interviews and those types of things. Um, how has the pandemic or has it changed the way that you go about buying services? Well, you're right. Uh, pretty much everything is done virtually these days. We've had a couple of face-to-face pre-proposal meetings and, and similar type meetings. APS was kind of in the process of going to a more virtual platform anyway, and it's just interesting it's happened through the, the COVID outbreak. <laughs> um, we moved from a more of a, you know, an email individual request RFP out to a, pre, a pre-approved list of vendors to, we use a platform now called Bonfire, and where I might have handled the procurement in the past days, that being an email for me, now everything's being pushed out on, on the Bonfire platform through our procurement office. So it's a little bit different face to vendors out there proposing on APS projects. So do you have any advice for those vendors? You know, I mean, I'm just going to come out and say it, Jerry, that you've been the face of Atlanta public schools for as long as I can remember. And, and the design and construction community just absolutely adores you and loves the relationships that they have with you and have become accustomed to how you run the show over there. (laughs) And now that the procurement, um, is going through more of a technology-based solution and through your procurement office. I think that some of our, you know, design and construction companies are struggling a little bit trying to understand how to navigate that change. Do you have any advice for them? Yeah. You know, they're probably struggling in, in other districts too. I don't know if it's specific to APS, but it, you know, it's electronic. It's a technology device. It's very unforgiving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if it says do something and put a dot after it, you, you need to do it. You know, dates and times are now, you know, hard and fast. It's what the, you know, the time on the computer. There, there's less, there's much more black and white and a lot less gray. Um, and not that, was, not that there was a lot before, but there was a little more human side to sure. it. Now it's just not there. I would say, you really can't wait. You need to test your technology, make sure you're communicating with bonfire platform or, or whatever platform, you know, a district may be using. And I don't know if any of these platforms really have a process for a test or something like that um, to see, you know, if you could test your ability to communicate with it. But the real advice is to just kind of read and get your head into that platform and, and understand how it works and, and your ability with your technology and network to communicate with it. Because it's as much as you want to say it's all the same, it, it is not all the same because it depends on your computer, your laptop, your, your systems that you're trying to tie into or connect into Bonfire with. And they don't all do it the same. I'm, I'm pretty confident. Right. <laughs> That's how it always goes with technology, right? It's, it's, it's universal yet very different. Very different, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny you mentioned 
it's very black and white these days, but at the end of the day, there's still a selection committee and there's still a review process. Could you walk us through what that looks like now with the, with the relationship with procurement and with facilities and how that is all being orchestrated? And, you know, a lot of our, our clients, um, you know, like to get to know their customer um, ahead Mm -hmm. of an RFQ or RFP. And now they're not sure, you know, if they're, there to approach you with, with that relationship building process or your purchasing department or both. Um, you know, we get these questions a lot um, from our various general contractors and architects um, that are really eager to work for APS and other school districts. It's, you're right. It's not unique to just you, but what advice do you have um, for those who really want to understand what's coming um, well in advance of an RFQ? Right. I mean, I don't have an absolute answer. I mean, it still comes down to people. There is still an evaluation committee of these things. So there's no book in your hand you can flip back and forth through. That's an interesting phenomenon of it. You know, you pull up a PDF on the screen and you have to scroll through it. And I'm I'm not going to sit here and tell people how to submit a proposal, but I've seen proposals that are seven and 800 pages. And I know you're trying to get all your information in there, but you could just imagine opening a PDF on a on a laptop screen or even a desktop screen and trying to scroll through that many pages and find something. While you could do it maybe with a, a tab notebook, it's much more difficult in a, in a PDF format. So I think there may be some to make these things a little more simple and a little more direct. You know, again, I don't want to tell somebody to leave something out of a proposal that they think is important, but when you start getting into hundreds of pages, it's, it's, it's tough. It really is. Yeah. How much are you seeing with the electronic submission, the ability for firms to integrate other mediums like video or links to other platforms within their PDF? Are you seeing a lot of that happening? Um, actually not. No. Um, there is, and I'm not, don't pretend to be the expert on Bonfire, and that's the platform I know, but there really is no provision. I mean, it is, you get to see a PDF file mm-hmm. and, and that's really it. Now, I have seen people that they'll, there'll be a link in that PDF to some other file. Frankly, I, ha- I haven't clicked on any of those, so I don't know what that will do. Um, I don't know if it would take you to it like a normal PDF would or not. Gotcha. But no, it, it's, it, again, it's very black and white. Here, here's your platform for submitting your material and submit it here. Um, and I know that can probably be frustrating to a lot of people who are a little more advanced in the videos or the other interactive presentations. Um, that they're so good at. Gotcha. Quick follow-up, Jerry, since you mentioned it, you know, people are trying to get creative and um, I think they're, they're doing it with good intentions of trying to have reader engagement with these PDF submissions. Like you mentioned, maybe there's a QR code or there's links embedded within the PDF trying to drive you to either watch a video or driving you to an immersive online experience, but you said you're not clicking those. So do you view those as being unnecessary or it's just not something that that you find yourself using and you wish that design and construction would just stop and just simply answer the questions? (laughs) I will say answering the question (laughs) is always good. You can't go wrong in answering the question. Um, But I know know vendors, other, you know, professionals, they want to go a little bit further. They want to stand out. I mean, I'm kind of a little bit at a loss right now. How do you make yourself do that? in this virtual world. It's, it's just very tough because the, the items aren't released to the evaluators to a certain 
period of time. So you can't really advance, look at them and you only have a certain window of time to review them. So, you know, it's not like the books you could carry home with you on the weekend and at your leisure kind of thumb through them, put them down, pick them back up. I mean, I guess you kind of can do that in the virtual platform, but it's, it's just not the same, at least not for me. Well, you used to share with us, Jerry, that you would allow maybe 10 or 15 minutes to review a proposal cover to cover, and then you would have to move on to the next one just because your stack was so large. Have you found that now that you're reviewing things on screen, is it taking you longer to look through things or you about during that same period? It's a little more clunky because, again, it's harder to stop and start. The phone rings and it, maybe it really shouldn't be, um, but it just seems to be a little harder to stop and start and engage. So you kind of get into one, you want to finish it, but the time to review them kind of depends on what else is on my plate down the road. But yeah, sometimes it's, you know, 10, 12, 15 minutes, maybe at the most to look at one and then you're moving on. Um, you know, the interviews, I, I think we'll probably talk about those in a minute. That's a little bit different. You have more time there, and there is more, a little more interaction, mm-hmm. you know, in that format. Yeah, that's a great segue to, I was going to ask you, Jerry, since this pandemic has settled in and everything's been changing, um, you mentioned you've done some virtual interviews and some in-person pre-proposal meetings, in-person interviews. Can you give us an example? You don't have to name the firm, but can you give us an example of just some memorable moments in these interviews where an architect or a contractor maybe did something that was really outstanding? Well, usually somebody will still, whether it was in person or, you know, virtual, they will hit on some particular topic related to the project. And I don't think APS is totally different, but our projects are very personal. They're very specific. They're very neighborhood oriented. And the firms that kind of hit on something, and I, I can't really cite one right now, but they'll, they'll speak to something specific about a project, a, a tree that the kids gather under, or the place where all the parents gather in the morning to drop off their kids with the coffee and the dogs. You know, those kind of very personal, very site-specific kind of things. And at least I can, and I think others can too on the interviews, that, that kind of hits home, and it kind of makes you... And I don't want to say people aren't paying attention to the online interviews, but it kind of makes you look up and pay attention just as it did in an in-person interview. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it really catches your ear. So the firms that do that, and and I've told this before COVID and before all the virtual platforms, I I told people the same thing. It's you got to figure out what makes this project special, what makes it personal, what makes it neighborhood oriented. And I would think you, you always need to kind of drill down on some of that. I think to really engage the uh, the evaluation of the interview committee and the firms that do that seem to do better. Well, um, I want to pivot just a little bit. You mentioned earlier that you've been talking to your peer group in here in Metro Atlanta that work for other school districts and you all have been just with 4LE and, and, you know, not just during the pandemic, but you've always sort of worked together in, you know, moving education, K-12 public education forward and the facilities side forward. Um, What are some trends that are happening these days in the design and construction of K-12 that um, you see continuing? Well, we're still talking about and still implementing what we call maker spaces or creative works, 
creative labs or spaces, places that are flexible where different types of learning can occur, projects can occur, you know, kind of interactive sessions can occur if we ever go back to that. Those are still a big I don't say a big topic. There's still a topic of discussion when we're doing planning and design. And, and I'll back up and kind of say, for right now, the schools that we're planning and designing, they ha- it hasn't changed drastically from where it was, say, a year ago. And when I say a year ago, that was nobody was even talking about COVID right. at that point. Right. It's it's funny when you said, you know, we were already moving to a virtual platform. I've heard that so much lately, mm-hmm. whether it's from a K-12 school district or a healthcare system. And the reality is, is that we are a very technology rich, you know, uh, society. And um, I think if anything, this pandemic has, I've said this many times, just rear-ended us in the future very quickly. And and I think we're all living in this, like, what next what's happening next era. So um, even though the instructional spaces haven't changed that much, do you feel that it's inevitable that as we adapt to this new, you know, low touch, no touch economy and more, um, more districts are looking to distribute education virtually. I would imagine that there, it is eventually going to impact the way we think about buildings um, and how we design them and, and build them. Um, uh, what is, I think so. Yep. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, we've talked around some of those things, I guess, over the last year. Things like, you know, a, a computer lab may kind of morph into a, you know, video studio or a virtual studio or something like that. Um, and that's not so much in the brick and mortar piece. It's more in the technology and maybe um, electrical piece. You know, I think those things will change. I've talked about possibly implementing what I'm calling a genius bar in schools where technology can be dropped off, picked up, changed, worked on, that kind of thing. You know, those that really doesn't exist in schools right now um, to where there's a counter where somebody could come up to that's not in school or not going to school where they could get their technology managed in some way. I, I could see that happening. That's a fantastic idea. That really yeah. is um, very user friendly and and customer oriented. I think that would be a very progressive thing for K twelve education to adopt. Right, and even if we didn't go, you know, we moved back away from the virtual platform. I still think having something like that in the school, kids were still, you know, it was almost one to one technology anyway. Yeah. So something was always going on with your technology. So having that kind of space or place where you could get your technology worked on, essentially in school. What kind of effect is this having on your um, auxiliary services, like your food service and your transportation? Um, what have been the biggest a- impacts um, on those non-instructional um, operations? Right. Well, frankly, there are a lot of employees that either drove buses or cooked that don't have things to do right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they're doing other things about the district. Um, we are still feeding. I don't know they have the exact numbers, but we're providing thousands of meals every day to students. Now, we're just cooking in five kitchens around the city, and those meals are distributed by our transportation folks. So that's still going on. But, you know, the day in, day out cooking of thousands of meals for students at lunch, that's, that's just not happening right now. Mm-hmm. Same thing with transportation. You know, extracurricular activities are going on. So football is still going on. Basketball is going. We're moving into basketball season. So um, transportation, our depart, transportation department is still handling those moves around town. So that's still ongoing. But, yeah, it's had a significant impact on both food service and, and transportation. 
So Jerry, we know you're very involved in your profession and you give back to the design and construction and education professions through your participation through trade organizations. We mentioned 4LE. I know you've been involved in other like design and construction associations. What are some of the, the hot topics in your industry circles um, these days in terms of how designers and contractors and owners are, are thinking about the future and building for the future? This isn't a very a bad thing necessarily, but I think there's a quite a bit of uneasiness out there. People are just wondering what's going to happen. Is is there another economic shoe to drop at some point? Because I think for the most part, while you know, I, I know some people in our industry have probably been significantly impacted. I think for the most part, a lot of things have kind of continued on, but I think there's a, a lot of uneasiness out there about what's going to happen next. Um, you know, especially with travel. Uh, hospitality, restaurant. I mean, you just got to start wondering what's going to happen. And they, even though, you know, I, I look at downtown Atlanta, I drove through downtown the other night and it's virtually empty. I mean, sitting there at the Ritz downtown, the 191 building, there's just nobody in those spaces. And if we don't somehow move back, what is going to happen to those kind of spaces? Mm-hmm. What, I mean, what's going to go on? You know, they require large amounts of cash moving through them and rent and other type of uh, services to keep, you know, sustain them and keep them going. Um, and if we don't move back to that, at least a significant part of that environment, what, what is going to happen long term? Sure. I mean, workplace is going to. Maybe, maybe I was thinking too much. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think it's valid. I think every business owner, myself included, is is looking at our, you know, obligations on the corporate lease side and as we've been productive since March working remotely, it's a valid question whether or not we will go back to a physical environment the way we were. Um, I think we'll always need a place to gather and collaborate, but do we need an office every single day of the work week? Not, not so much. And I think we've proven that. And I think a lot of companies are coming to that realization as well. Yeah. So Jerry, do you want to share any, parting words of wisdom in terms of, you know, thank goodness 2020 is almost a wrap, right? Um, We're sitting here, this episode will air, um, you know, before the end of the year, but we're sitting here Thanksgiving week and, you know, at Smarties, we are extremely thankful for people like yourself and um, our essential construction workers and everything moving forward. Um, But I just am wondering, you know, what does 2021 hold and what are some of the the big items you wish to tackle next year in your role at APS? You know, we're about 40 months into a 60-month spa cycle. Mm-hmm. So we're already starting to talk in some of our uh, brother and sister districts around the metro area are starting to talk about going for another round of mm-hmm. spa sometime in late 21 or 22. Um, so getting prepared for that. Um, getting a facilities plan done and, and a roster of projects lined up that there's some logic to and makes sense and that, it, that our constituents want. I mean, if they don't want these projects, there's no reason for me to do them. Um, but I think part of my job is to get those things teed up and get these needs and projects kind of put in front of people so they can basically vote them up or vote them down. So 21 will likely keep me busy doing a lot of that. Um, then we've got our share of projects that are continuing on through the next year. We were, I don't want to say we were at a slow point, but our, our, our program kind of ebbs and flows, and we were moving into a, a somewhat slower cycle where we were doing some more planning and, and, 
and designing. Um, but we'll at some point we'll move back into the heavy construction phase of it. But getting prepared for that next, next round of squats will be a, a big, big agenda item for 21. That's awesome. Um, so is there a magic place that the vendor community can go or the public can go to see what might be forecasted for that SPLOST and what types of projects and priorities the constituents are asking for? Right. Th- there will be. There's not at this point because nothing's really been done yeah. yet. I mean, a lot of our plans, we were doing in the middle of a big facilities plan that was supposed to wrap up at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just not going to happen now. We hope it can be the first quarter or maybe even the second quarter of 21. So things are getting pushed back a little bit just because we can't have the public meetings and the public engagement. And some of this big stuff, like a you know half a billion dollars lost, it's tough to do them virtually. We may end up doing it virtually, but we're still kind of holding out, hoping we can do some public engagement. But, you know, again, that's what 21 is going to kind of, you know, well, we look forward to hearing about more about it. And now we have an excuse to have you back on our show next season once you know what's going in the SPLOS <laughs> to talk more about those things. Right. And as soon as we know those things, if you go on our website now under facilities, there's an eSPLOS tab, mm-hmm. um, but it's current SPLOS stuff. So when we have the new um, program laid out and at some point it'll get posted on the website. That's awesome. There's just nothing right now. And we'll just we'll just count on you letting us know when it's available and and distributing that to our audience. Um, but we really appreciate you taking the time to not only do this once for us, but now twice. And Jerry, I have to say, um, I echo Katie when I tell you that you are a fan favorite. The entire design and construction community involved in K-12 in Atlanta just absolutely adores you. And it's really, really thankful to have you on the owner side. And um, they find you to be a great partner. That's the feedback we always hear. And we really appreciate you taking the time to, to do this for us today. You've been listening to AEC Marketing for Principals, brought to you by Smartergies. If you like this episode, please let us know by visiting AECMarketingPodcast.com, where you can learn more ways to position your brand and sell to owners. 